0: So, time passes quickly, doesn't it, y'all? So, we are so grateful to the Lord and in all of his faithfulness in that time. And so, we're all the way down, as you know, we're still in Romans, but we're all the way down to Romans chapter 13. And the sermon this week, which sparked a little bit of controversy, is You and the Government. You and the Government. And as you know, I only say and preach and read what the text says, and that's what we're going to do today even if we get just a little bit controversial, okay? And so obviously I know that the moment that you mention the government, it is a fair expectation that there will be some controversy because of how differently we all think and feel and believe about what the government's rights are and how they should inflict them on us. But we have to realize that when we look at this, that Paul is not just writing to Rome, but he's writing to all of us. And so that means that no matter where you think you are, we have a responsibility to understand how we interact with the world around us. And so I know you're probably already thinking, but why does any of this matter? Is any of this really significant? And I get it. But the reason it matters more than anything is that the more that you grow in the faith, the more you realize that everything you do as a Christian is reflective of your witness of Christ. How I live among the people around me, but also how I live within the systems that govern our world. And I can imagine that this is going to present some interesting questions for the people who are here And so it is my desire in this sermon to answer even some of those questions that might be presented. So what does Paul say? In Romans 13, he says, beginning at verse 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing, paid all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to get into the word, Lord, it is going to be challenging in some instances. Some of the things that we're going to read today and talk about are going to challenge us. They are going to meet us in some of our weak spaces and places. And in other places, they're going to strengthen us, God. And so we pray, Lord, as we hear the word of God today, let us hear with clarity. Let us trust what the word of God says as the ultimate authority. And let it help us navigate the many variables that will come up in our lives as your people. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so while I know that if you read this passage, it may initially sound like something quoted from a Republican National Convention, these are, in fact, the words of Paul. And just like everything we read, these words even require some context. No, I'm not saying that Paul isn't saying what he's saying here. I'm not saying he's even making a different point. But we immediately understand that even in this text, it has context. And so the struggle is going to be if we've read a lot of Paul... If we've seen Paul do some things, what he says here seems a bit contradictory to some of the things that Paul has said and done. But right here, he says something very clear. He says, let every Christian be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and they exist because God has instituted them. So let's start with this question. Paul, if God is, in fact, the ultimate authority, then why do we have any other authorities? If God is the authority, why do we have other authorities up under him? And as I want to do, my favorite place to go back with these types of questions is the garden because it all starts in the garden. God gives the parameters for life in the garden, and he tells them to Adam. But it was Adam's responsibility, y'all, to be, for lack of a better word, the authority. Why? Because God didn't just create the world, but he created the world with order. And even in a world where there is no sin, there was Authority. So what happens when that was violated? We see in the scriptures there's an influx of sin and rebellion that entered the world. So if God is the ultimate authority, why isn't he on the spot judging us, holding us accountable to one another? Well, in the garden... When they sin, they remove themselves from the presence of God. And they become then the authority to themselves to govern the world. We know this because it's that quote in the text that says, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing what? Good from evil meaning now the responsibility to discern between what is good what is right what is wrong is now in the authority of sinful man and what happens how did that work out Cain killed Abel there is no law given morally nor is there government or laws at that point governing the world so As government develops, it happens because people have to be held accountable. That's the reason it exists. And some of those are the same moral laws, things like don't kill, things like don't steal. Yes, there is judgment from God from disobeying these, but now they have been written into our legal code, which means if you break these laws, you will go to jail. And so I think that by nature, we get that. But the real question is this. It's this is a real question. What about when government law goes against God's law? You know what I mean? This is really what we want to know, right? This is a real question. Because all of us have lived long enough to see and witness that there are times when what the government says and does or even requires, infringes on us as Christians. But you may not have noticed this. But suddenly, Paul has already even answered that question for us. He says, for there is no authority except for the authority which comes from God. And this is where many Christians mess up. Your default position as a Christian should not be I obey whatever the government tells me to do. That is not your default position as a Christian, nor am I endorsing that. But rather your default position should be this. I obey God above all things. But wait. Paul just told us that whoever resists the authorities... Resist what God has appointed. Yes, what God has appointed. And I think we all know this. Not everything that is from the governmental authority that it appoints is godly. There are many things that the government appoints that are rather ungodly. And so we know this because when Peter and John were spreading the gospel of Jesus... And the legalistics, the religious leaders of the day who had a problem with it, who said they were going against both Roman law and Jewish law and charged them to stop preaching the gospel. You know what they said? We must obey God rather than man. In the same case, when they were charged to say Caesar is Lord, they said if we say that Christ is Lord, there is no other Lord. Which, by the way, it was not illegal for you to say that anybody else was Lord, but you also had to say legally that Caesar was Lord. And as Christians, they made the declaration that they would not do that. When Philemon wants his slave back who'd run away, Paul charges him not just to do what the law requires, but to forgive him of his debt and set him free. In other words, there's a higher law, right? There's a higher moral standard that Christians are held to that is not limited to those that govern the world. Where else do we see this? The three Hebrew boys defined the law and did not bow to the image that was set before them. So this is a real question. How is it Paul expects us not to resist authorities when the Bible is laced with people who resisted authority. The gospel exists because people resisted authority. How is it that he could put this expectation on us that he himself didn't uphold? And perhaps there are examples of the Bible that fleshes out. In the gospels, we saw a case... When Jesus is being arrested and Peter drew out his sword to fight the soldiers off, and Jesus tells him, listen, those who live by this sword will also die by this sword. And I read this getting ready, y'all, and it finally hit me what Jesus means. See, the word in our text, resist, is not probably the best English word, right? It's probably better rebel. Those who rebel against authority. The actual Greek is about someone whose permanent stance is rebellion against all authority. And I don't know about you, but have you ever met anyone whose permanent stance is that they are against everything? So against everything that they're not actually for anything at all. I actually know of a young man whose name I will not name, but I went to high school with him, and his basic position is this. Whoever is in power, he's against it. Even if some of the people who are in power were people he previously supported. Once they are in authority, you realize, oh, you just hate authority. And as a result, He finds a problem with everything and everyone because he's hardened himself against authority. And this is what Jesus says. If you're looking for a fight, you will always find a fight. If you walk around carrying a sword, looking for all of the infractions, you will find them. And so for this guy that I know, he's been beat up. He's been threatened to be beat up. He's been mocked. He's even been exposed. Why? Because you live by the sword. You die by it. When you're against everything, everything becomes a fight. So our submission, when our faith isn't infringed, is really a submission to God. We pay our taxes not out of obligation to the wicked government that, government that governs us, but rather out of obligation to God. We uphold the laws of the land not because the people in power are righteous, but because God is righteous. And so if my faith isn't infringed, then I submit to the laws as a submission to God and our rebellion, though. When our faith isn't infringed, it's not a rebellion against the governmental authorities. It is rebellion against God himself. Last week, I didn't get into it because it fits better with this passage, but I know you're probably thinking like I am. What about if the institutions and the systems created by the government that exist? And what if those exploit groups of people? And what if the laws have been woven together with injustice in them? Do I, Brandon, just sit back and do nothing? But this is what the text said last week. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So my answer to you is, no, you don't do nothing, but rather you do something good. Crazy as that sounds, You actually display the goodness and the faithfulness of Christ in spite of the fact that people and laws and rulers are not good. See, if we just actively resist even the most basic laws, then our witness, y'all, dies. That means that we are no different than the world. But what happens when, as Christians, the evil people in our world, to damage our witness, start to excavate our lives, start to check our taxes? Do we have unpaid parking tickets? Do we have children somebody doesn't know about? Have we swept some injustice, some sin, some law under the rug? What happens when they have excavated all of your life and they find nothing? Not a speeding ticket, not an unpaid tax, not an unpaid parking ticket, but they see that that witness that you profess is also lived in even the most minuscule areas of your life. When they find out that not all Christians are scheming and scamming, when they find nothing, But then he says this, and I actually do think this is pretty controversial. Paul says, honestly, authorities don't tend to bother you if you intend on doing right by them. And look, I'm as real as real get. I know that is probably very bothersome for us to hear and read and see. But Paul is speaking more generally here, y'all. Okay. Of course, he knows that there's going to be corruption, You got to imagine this. Why was Paul in prison? Paul was in prison because Nero accused him of burning down Rome when Nero was the person that did it. It's not that Paul is unaware that there's corruption, but rather what he's saying is if you live in wickedness as a Christian, doing right still might get you in trouble. Don't do wrong. If doing right can land you in prison, what do you think wrong will do? And so he's saying generally, based on this general rule, if you do what you're supposed to do, save from the wickedness and corruption of men, the laws probably won't even bother you. Now I want to give y'all an example because I try to make it plain. Very simply, I hate speed traps, okay? Now, I feel personally that there are way too many other crimes being committed other than folks speeding a little bit. But also the reality, if anybody has seen me drive or if anybody has ridden with me or tried to follow me anywhere, you know the reason I got such a problem with speed traps because your boy be speed. Like, I mean, most people, just drive out on speed traps and I get angry when I see them. But the reason I get so angry is because I intend on speeding. And that speed trap is preventing me from breaking a law that I want to break. So I hate them speed traps. Somebody's probably getting robbed and you're trying to catch me speed. But the only reason it bothers me is because I know I break that law. And so what I feel... Is the constraints of the law making me do what I don't want to do? And my frustration with the law is it is really convenient for me in this matter to speed, <laughs> to just do what I want to do. But then you realize that officer is there to enforce the law so that people don't speed. And aren't a danger to others. And it bothers me because it is my intention to break that law. That's why I'm going to tell y'all now, I admire any of those men who can put that clergy tag on their bumper. Because we'll never find me with it. I kid you not, we were pulling into the church yesterday and a lady hit me. And I'm rolling down the. Wall. I said, pull over. I'm yelling at the lady from out the window. But then she went on. So I can't put no clergy thing on my car because I'm going to be the main reason the witness is damaged. But this is the thing. As a Christian, I don't get to say because I personally disagree with this law that is insignificant. No, it exists for something and to be honest, my witness is better when I'm faithful to God across the board. That's just the reality. I mean, you're going to get upset with me, but this doesn't just apply to the laws or the government. Y'all, this is also the authorities that exist over you in every area of your life. And I know you hate it, but this also means when we go to work. I'm just going to look down at my nose right now. Am I getting there on time? Am I going and doing the work that I say I'm doing? Is my witness holding up when it comes to following procedures and processes that no one knows about? And so you're probably thinking, but yeah, Brandon, but this text is actually not talking about work. He said governing authorities, the government, but maybe we should go to first Peter. First Peter goes a step further. In First Peter 213, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the Emperor as Supreme. Every human institution. Now that means that whether this is in the government, those people in your workplaces the institution of marriage, the institution of parent-child relationships. These are human institutions. What does he say? The expectation for you as a Christian is to submit. But why? Because I want you to think about this. In our world, the world that we live in, The person who rebels is the one who is seen as powerful. The person who revolts is the one who tears down institution, who has respect and acclaim and influence and power in our world. But in Christianity, do you know what real power is? Do you know what real power looks like? Real power hangs on a cross and dies. Real power submitted itself to its parents, to governing authorities, to religious authorities, even to death. And that was the greatest injustice known to man, yet real power humbled itself to death. And we can't go to work and do something somebody, some, somebody to tell us to do. Like I really got to make a big deal about speeding. Like I can't humble myself to that law yet. Jesus, in the face of the people who were doing wrong, humbled himself even to their wrong. Y'all, that is, that, that is a struggle for me. Real power submitted to the wickedness of a corrupt system and showed that corruption couldn't corrupt him. And do you know what took away the power of death? You know what took away the power of the grave? When God on the cross died. When he submits to death willingly, there was nothing else death could do. He died. And when he gets up with all power by him humbling himself to death, he stripped away any advantage that death, Satan, and the grave would ever have on us again. That, y'all, is real power. That's why in the Gospels, when following the narrative, it is most profitable for Satan and the Roman government if Jesus doesn't submit to death. But real power, y'all, is being willing to submit. And we can all identify with this because we have all probably worked with We've all probably known someone who had something against us. And they may tell you to do things to intentionally make your job hard, to intentionally make your life difficult, to put you in positions to get angry, to do something wrong, to get a certain response out of you so that they can be justified in the way they treat you. But you know what angers them the most? You know what strips them of their power? It's not when you rebel. It's not when you send a strongly worded email. It is not when you curse them out. What heaps hot coals on their head is when you treat them right, even when they treat you wrong. When even in the midst of their wrong, you submit humbly, not to their authority, but to God's authority. When you simply respond, Yes. I'll do it. No problem. Okay. When you do that, it harkens back to what Paul said a few weeks ago. As a Christian, I will not be dominated by anything. And if I allow anybody else to elicit a certain response out of me, then they become my only authority. But when God is my authority, even when I'm being done wrong by these authorities, my submission is to him. So in our lives, how do we really resist the enemy? We learn, as I close, out of James 4 and 7. He actually says this. Submit yourselves therefore to God. And who do you resist? You resist the devil and he will flee from you. Y'all, in Our submitting to God and our submitting to his authority, that is how we truly resist the evil of Satan and as I like to refer to them, his higher minions. I work with a few of them, so I know. That is how I overcome the way that I'm done, the way that I'm treated. I don't just submit to them, but I'm submitting to God. And right before this is a little bit of comfort that James offers. He says, because God opposes the proud. He is in opposition against the proud. But for the humble, the Bible says he gives grace and more grace. And I don't know about you, but what I need in a world and systems that weren't created for me to thrive and do well, what I need when I go to a workplace that maybe doesn't see things the way I see it, when I'm passing by speed traps, what I need is grace. I need more grace. And the best way to get grace, humble yourself, submit to God, and the devil will flee. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word. God, these are passages that certainly do challenge us in the areas of our lives. Um, God, I can think of myriad examples in my own life of how my frustrations have come from not wanting to submit to authority, wanting to be my own authority, rebelling, actively rebelling and resisting authority. But God, I can also look at how much uh, turmoil came from that. And so, Lord, it is my prayer that as we live as Christians, that we are living as the example that you have set for us, that we are humbling ourselves. You humbled yourself to death, God, so that we are humbling ourselves ultimately to you. God, that, that is giving us the peace to navigate through our lives. And no, it's not easy. And it can even be frustrating and discouraging. But God, it is my prayer that as we submit to you, you will also give us the courage we need when it is time for us to address wrong, to address evil, to address sin, to face injustice in our world, that we will do so with grace, contentment, and with peace. Knowing ultimately that even if our laws don't change, We have submitted ourselves to our ultimate authority, which is in you. And so this is what we ask as we go forward, God, that you would help us humble ourselves to the governing authorities around us, to every institution, to every workplace.